Part two, chapter six of the Gentlemen and Ladies Book of Politeness and Propriety of Deportment. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jolie O'Dell. The Gentlemen and Ladies Book of Politeness and Propriety of Deportment by Elizabeth Selnar. Part two, chapter six of the moral observances in conversation goodness moderation and decorum these are the motto and the soul of moral propriety in conversation a solicitude to be always agreeable and obliging of observing a proper medium in everything of respecting the rights of others even in the most trifling things susceptibility for everything which is connected with delicacy piety and modesty all these qualities which belong to politeness are included in these expressive words goodness moderation decorum section one of formal and vulgar usages in the first rank of customary formalities we place those concerning information about the health we shall necessarily have little to say on this head there are however some little rules which are not to be neglected it is proper to vary the phraseology of these formal questions as much as possible and we must abstain from them entirely towards a superior or a person with whom we are but little acquainted for such inquiries presuppose some degree of intimacy in the last case there is a method of manifesting our interest without violating etiquette it consists in making these inquiries of the domestics or of other persons of the house and of saying afterwards when introduced I am happy, sir, to hear that you are in good health. Custom forbids a lady to make these inquiries of a gentleman unless he is ill or very aged. To put a corrective upon this mark of regard, a lady who addresses a gentleman should be earnest in her inquiries of the health of his family, however little intimacy she may have with them. Many persons ask this question mechanically without waiting for the answer, or else hasten to reply before they have received it. This is in bad tone. Inquiries about the health, it is true, are frequently unimportant, but they should appear to be dictated by attention and kindness. We must not, however, be deceived, but be careful to not mention a slight indisposition to persons who are strangers to us, because their interest can be only formal. After we are informed of the health of the person we are visiting, it is proper to inquire of them in relation to the health of their families but it would be wearisome to them to make a long enumeration of the members who compose the family. We can put a general question designating the most important members. In case of the absence of near relations, we ask the person we are visiting if they have heard from them lately, if the news is favorable. They, on their part, ask the same of us. When you are not on visits of great ceremony, at the time of taking leave, you are commonly desired to give the compliments and salutations of the persons you are visiting to those with whom you live. Then you should reply briefly, but give them assurances of your regard, and thank them. Politeness infuses into visits of some little ceremony a coloring of modesty, grace, and deference, which should be preserved with the greatest care. In speaking, it is always proper to give the name of Sir, Madam, or Miss, and if the sentence is somewhat long, the title ought to be repeated. If the question is with regard to answering in the affirmative or negative, we ought never to say roughly yes or no. If the person addressed has a title, 
or that which he has from his profession we should give it him as count doctor etc in case we meet with many persons of the same profession we can distinguish them adding their names to the title a lady will not say my husband except among intimates in every other case she should address him by his name calling him mister it is equally good ton that except on occasions of ceremony and while she is quite young to designate him by his christian name but when one speaks to a gentleman of the lady to whom he is married he should not say your wife unless he is intimately acquainted but mrs such a one is the most proper the rules of politeness in this respect are the same in speaking of the husband when we speak of ourselves and another person whether he is absent or present propriety requires us to mention ourselves last thus we should say he and i you and i when you relate a personal occurrence the circumstances connected with which are honourable to yourself and a distinguished person has also had a share in the honour you should mention only him and instead of the plural form we resolved we did such a thing you should forget yourself and say mr n resolved or did such a thing so and so delicacy will dictate this decree of modesty to you and your superior in his turn will proclaim at his own expense your merit on the occasion we know that the word false is not to be found in the dictionary of politeness and that when we are obliged to deny the assertion of any one we employ apologetical forms the most proper ones are such as the following i may be mistaken i am undoubtedly mistaken but be so good as to excuse my mistake but it seems to me i ask pardon but i thought etc those persons are but ill-bred who think to soften down a denial merely by expressions of doubt they say if what you advance is true if what madam says is positive etc with these forms they think they comply with the rules of politeness it is incivility with affectation however persons may say invidiously that forms avail much in the world i agree with them but in quite another sense we should never ask a thing of any one without saying will you have the goodness will you do me the favour will you be so good etc in a circle we should not pass before a lady and should never present anything by extending the arm over her but we pass round behind and present it in case we cannot do it we say i ask your pardon etc to a question we do not fully comprehend we never answer huh what but be so good as etc pardon me i did not understand never refuse with disdain a pinch of snuff but rather than disoblige people take one even if you throw it away after having pretended to take it beware of presenting to ladies in balls or assemblies a box of sweet things under penalty of having the air of a caricature if you strike against any one in the least ask pardon for it immediately the other should at the same time answer you it is nothing nothing at all etc even if the blow should have been violent it is customary to employ the few moments of a visit of mere politeness in looking at the portraits which adorn the fireplace and even taking them down if you are invited to do it it would be the extreme of impoliteness to say that they were flattered or to pretend to recognize in the portrait of a young lady the likeness of an elderly lady or of one less favored by nature it would moreover be improper to make long compliments indirect and ingenious praise is all that is proper section two 
of questions and frequently recurring expressions it is an axiom of propriety that we should never speak of ourselves except to intimate friends and that we should converse with strangers about themselves and everything which can interest them questions are therefore necessary but they demand infinite delicacy and tact in order neither to fatigue nor ever wound the feelings if instead of expressing a mild but heartfelt interest you ask a dry question dictated by a cold curiosity if you seem to pay no attention to the answers which you call forth if you maladroitly take a commanding tone if you prolong without bounds this kind of conversation if perceiving that you are embarrassed and that you endeavour to save yourself by an evasive answer instead of keeping silence you witness the foolish regrets of your indiscretion be assured that both your questions and yourself will be considered as a torment madame necker ingeniously observes that these favourite and frequently repeated terms with which we fill our conversation serve ordinarily as a mark of people's character thus says she those who exceed the truth are in the habit of saying you may rely upon it it is the truth long talkers say in a word to be brief and the proud say without boasting etc this striking observation is well founded and consequently we ought to take good care not to let people into the secret of our peculiarities but independently of this motive it is necessary for us carefully to avoid frequently recurring words as in time habit multiplies them to an inconceivable degree they embarrass and overwhelm our conversation turn away the attention of those who listen to us and render us importunate and ridiculous without our being able to perceive it if habitual terms which on no other account are reprehensible can become so troublesome what results may these trite phrases trivial expressions and vulgar transitions produce when they become frequent section three of narrations analysis and digressions there are many conditions indispensable to the success of a narrative these conditions are first novelty the best stories weary when they are multiplied too much because every one wishes to be an actor in his turn upon the stage of the world so that when you have anything excellent to relate consult less your own desire to tell it than the wishes of others to hear you there are but too many people who discover the secret of wearying while telling very good things on account of their too great eagerness to tell them the next thing is to take a suitable opportunity let your narration spring naturally from the conversation let it explain a fact or come in support of an opinion but never appear to be introduced by the foolish pleasure of talking or by a not less foolish desire of making a display of talent remember that the most meagre recitals when they are apropos frequently please more than the best things in the world when they are said out of time and even endeavouring to monopolise the conversation is in baton particularly for young persons and ladies especially if it is but a few moments since they occupied the attention of the company it is an agreeable and modest mark of propriety to request some one to relate an anecdote of the day of which you have made mention and the circumstances of which you desire to know this is well suited to persons of distinguished talents the person you call upon bows and excuses himself with a few words before acceding to your request 
it is of all importance that the language correspond to the different forms which the narration requires that under pretext of adorning our story we do not wander into far-fetched comparisons dull details or interminable dialogues that if we relate anything amusing or striking we should observe the utmost seriousness and finally before commencing a recital of this kind we keep in mind these lines of la fontaine il ne faut jamais dire aux gens écoutez un bon mot ayez une merveille savez-vous si les écoutant efferant une estime à la vôtre pareille when for want of observing this as well as many other similar rules narrators fail of the expected effect and think to be able to tell it over again and remarking on the comic part of the story and labouring to repeat it thus do you not think this excellent wonderful alas they only add to their own defeat and to the ennui of their poor hearers if one relates an anecdote which you already know permit him to finish it and do not in any way draw off the attention of those who are listening if your opinion is asked give it frankly and without wishing to appear better informed than the narrator himself still farther if you happen to be in tete-a-tete with the same narrator observe the same silence and listen with an air of interest and if he happens to impart to you what he related the preceding day which he had from you yourself you should appear to listen with equal interest as if for the first time frequently in the midst of a recital the narrator through forgetfulness hesitates and thinks that he can recall it look at him attentively if he is in doubt declare that you are altogether ignorant of the subject in question if his memory returns request him to continue and at the same time saying i listen to you always with new pleasure this delicate politeness is particularly to be observed toward old persons when your narrations have had success keep a modest countenance leave others to point out the striking parts which have pleased them the surest means of not having the approbation of others in actions as well as other things is to solicit it whether it be by looks or by words as every hearer is obliged to listen or understand without objecting the consequence is that we should feel our ground before speaking and ask if such a thing is known to the company when a story has been published in the newspapers so that it is not entirely new or seems borrowed from a compilation if we attribute it to some person of our acquaintance of course one that is absent an ineffable ridicule very properly stigmatizes their narrator we come now to what seems to me the most difficult part of conversation and if you are not sure of being able to class your ideas with regularity to express them with much clearness and an easy elegance do not have the temerity to wish to analyze a book or a dramatic piece you would be laying up for yourself a rude mortification which would have an unfavorable influence on your entree into society you would be wrong however in concluding that i condemn you to perpetual silence i only wish to inspire you with the salutary diffidence in order to preserve you from such a rude check and to put it in your power some future day to answer in this particular the wishes of a distinguished and brilliant assembly begin by putting down upon paper a hasty sketch of a short piece as for instance a vaudeville or a little comedy you will do this until being sure of the manner in which you would embrace the ensemble and dispose of the details you can produce it without embarrassment when arrived at this point abstain from these kinds of analysis which though indeed more correct seem laboured 
they have besides less freedom appropriateness and grace know this and remember it well that every other preparation than thinking what you are about to say will make you acquire two intolerable faults affectation and stiffness to conclude i give this advice only to persons who by a quick and penetrating perception by love of the fine arts and by a peculiar readiness find themselves able to speak properly of literary productions those who are less engaged in these things should content themselves with simply and briefly explaining a subject and of mentioning the emotion they felt with speaking of some brilliant passage and adding that they do not pretend to pronounce judgment the first degree of digression is the parenthesis provided it is short natural and seldom repeated and that you take care to announce it always and finally in order not to abuse it you should make a skilful use of it the second degree of digression becomes more nice for it includes those accessory reflections those common but agreeable and well-settled expressions those general or particular allusions which are only to be used with a peculiar emphasis which is to the language what the italic character is to printing this method of speaking in italics may be striking and artless but it often becomes obscure and trivial the habit is dangerous and one should use this difficult digression only before intimate friends we come now to the third degree to what is properly called digression most frequently it is involuntary often in a lively and animated dialogue the impetus of conversation carries you as well as the person with whom you are conversing far from the point from which you started if it is a question of pleasure or interest return to your point by employing a polite turn as pray let us not lose sight of our business but if it is an affair of nothings succeeding nothings let it flow on voluntary digression when it is not a mere work of loquacity may be employed in serious discourse as political philosophical or moral discussions but it is important to treat it with infinite reserve and care and never to introduce a personal apology or a domestic incident altogether out of place as those persons do who in narrating any event relative to an individual recount his life their connection with him or his whole family and make the event of an hour remind us of ages lawyers literary people military men travellers invalids and aged ladies ought to have a prudent and continual distrust of the abuse of digressions section four of suppositions and comparisons the two shoals to be avoided in this form of language are directly opposed to each other the one is triviality the other bombast the object of supposition which is already antiquated and sometimes too simple is to increase the force of reasoning and to carry conviction to the mind of the person who listens to you comparison tends to make an image or to place before us the object desired when both these qualities are regulated by reason use and taste it is very well but how seldom this is the case they are not so used if in the course of a discussion you suppose a respectable person to supply the place of a madman an ill-bred person or a robber or if you suppose him to be in a situation disgraceful or even ridiculous as for example if you had been this bad person or suppose that you had committed this base act or that you should be laughed at etc 
they are also misplaced whenever being satisfied with avoiding disagreeable comparisons we endeavour to mark out someone as contemptible by comparing his exterior with that of some other person in the company when we say this unfortunate man is of your size sir he has your traits your physiognomy etc they are also misplaced if used in the presence of people of a profession upon which the injurious comparisons fall as when we say as quackish as a doctor greedy as an attorney loquacious as a lawyer etc finally politeness and taste cannot at all exist in comparisons if they are common or trivial as when we say black as the chimney-back high as one's hand etc or if they are in a turgid and pretending style such as learned as the muses fresh as the meadows etc section five of discussions and quotations whatever be the subject of conversation propose your opinion with modesty defend it with sang-froid and a mild tone if you are opposed yield with a good grace if you are wrong yield also although you are in the right if the subject of discussion is of little importance and especially if the one who opposes you is a lady or an old person moreover if love of truth or the desire of affording instruction force you to enter into a discussion do it with address and politeness if you do not bring over your opponent to your own opinion you will at least gain his esteem but if you have to do with one of those people who possessed with a mania of discussion commence by contradicting before they hear and who are always ready to sustain the contrary opinion yield to him you will have nothing to gain with him be assured that the spirit of contradiction can be conquered only by silence the insupportable pedantry of a cloud of quoters without tact or talent has justly for a long time thrown quotations into disrepute but if they are well chosen few and short they are apropos qui fuit comme le temps qui plaît comme le grâce if they are altogether new and wielded by a person of modesty elegance and taste having a perfect knowledge of the world quotations have much success and charm but without these conditions there is little safety and in this manner there can be no mediocrity you will either be a good model or an insupportable pedant consider if you will rashly run this chance especially on making your debut in society when young persons ought so carefully to avoid making a parade of a vain college erudition and not seek the reputation of a savant by employing words borrowed from foreign languages or scientific terms unknown in good society section six of pleasantry proverbs puns and bon mots if society is not a school for exercising pedantry neither is it an arena for the use of those perversely clever people who think themselves furnished with a patent to insult with grace whatever may be the keenness of their sarcasms the piquancy of their observations or the smile which they can excite in me i do not the less refuse to allow those caustic spirits the name of polite persons or of good ton for in politeness there must be good feeling but those who incessantly study to trouble and wound people without taking any precaution except to deprive them of the right or means of complaining who are ready to catch the least error to exaggerate it to clothe it in the most bitter language to present it in the most ridiculous light 
who meanly attack those who cannot answer them or expose themselves every day for a sarcasm to sport with their own life and that of another in a duel such people what are they in truth i dare not say one such picture which certainly is not highly coloured would render pleasantries always odious but to indulge in pleasantry is not to resemble such mischievous persons thank heaven it is far otherwise for mild kind and harmless pleasantry should be taken in good part even by those who are the subjects of it it is a friendly and sportive contest in which severity jealousy and resentment should never appear whenever you perceive the least trace of them the pleasantry is at an end desist then the moment they appear as to hoaxing that caustic of fools as to that silly gaiety excited by the candour or politeness of people whom you falsely cause to believe the most foolish things because they do not make known to you that they see through this pleasure of stupid fellows i have nothing to say of them except that i have too good an opinion of my reader to suppose that he does not despise them as i do popular quotations and proverbs as well as other quotations require some care and except in familiar conversation are altogether misplaced if they are frequent conversation becomes tedious gossiping if introduced without a short previous remark one of two things will take place they will either prevent the speaker from being understood or they will give him the air of sancho panza but the previous remark however need be but short as the proverb says as the wisdom of nations has it a proverb well applied and placed at the end of a phrase frequently makes a very happy conclusion i only speak to censure i entreat my readers not to suffer themselves to be the manufacturers of puns and to despise this talent of fools and childish means to excite a passing laugh not that we cannot repeat in good company one of those rare political bon mots which are happy in every respect nor that we ought to deprecate this kind of pleasantry before people who are fond of them still less to tell them what they hear every day that is poor to have taste does not authorize us to be impolite we must be much more severe upon another kind of equivoque namely those which offend modesty propriety allows you and it even requires you not to listen to but even interrupt an ill-bred person who importunes you with those indecent witticisms which a man of good society ought always to avoid they are those by aid of which we cover certain pleasantries with a veil so transparent that they are the more observed what pleasure can we find in causing ladies to blush and in meriting the name of a man of bad society there are those who think that they may allow themselves every kind of pleasantry before certain persons but a man of good ton ought to observe it wherever he is we might quote more than one example of persons who have lost politeness of manners and of language by assuming the habits and conversation of all kinds of society into which chance may have carried them it requires but a moment to lose those delicate shades of character which constitute a man of the world and which cost us so much labour to acquire it is a great error to suppose that we must always shine in conversation and that it is better to make ourselves admired by a lively and ready repartee than to content ourselves sometimes with silence or with an answer less brilliant than judicious 
we must not imagine that all traits of wit are in the class of politeness a vain and triumphant air spoils a bon mot moreover when you repeat a thing of this kind of which you are the author beware of saying so to your auditors section seven of eulogiums complainings improprieties in general and prejudices one of the most improper things is to praise to excess and unseasonably extravagant and misplaced eulogiums neither honour the one who bestows them nor the persons who receive them an infallible method of giving a meritorious person the air of a fool is to address him to his face and without disguise to load him with exaggerated eulogiums it is indeed not a little embarrassing to reply in such a case if we remain silent we appear to be inhaling the incense with complacency if we repel it we only seem to excite it the more thus we see in such a case and even among very clever persons too those who reply by silly exclamations and by rude assertions you were laughing at me they say this cannot be tolerated it is to be supposed that the person who praises you is incapable of such an act i think it would be better to say i did not know you were so kind or so good i should indeed think you were joking me or else we should say your partiality blinds you persons who are unacquainted with the world commonly think that they cannot address a lady without first assailing her with compliments this is a mistake gentlemen and i can with relation to this point reveal to you what my sex prefers to these vulgar eulogiums it is in bad ton to overwhelm with insipid flattery all women that we meet without distinction of age rank or merit these insipidities may indeed please some of light and frivolous minds but will disgust a woman of good sense carry on with them a lively piquant and varied conversation and remember that they have a too active imagination a too great versatility of disposition to support conversation for a long time upon the same subject but is it then necessary to proscribe eulogiums entirely not at all society has not yet arrived at that degree of philosophy eulogiums are and will for a long time be a means of success but they should be in the first place true or at least probable in order to not have the appearance of outrageous insults they should be indirect and delicate that we may listen to them without being obliged to interrupt and they should be tempered with a sort of judgment the skilful use of which is itself even a eulogium i repeat as i have often said let there be moderation in everything should we not regard as gross and ridiculous language that exaggeration which we frequently hear used in praise as well as in censure it seems that true politeness and language consist principally in a certain moderation of expressions it is much better to cause people to think more than we say and not outrage language and run the risk of going beyond what we ought to say under any circumstances complaining has always a bad grace banish from your complaints ill nature and animosity let your anger be only an expression of the wrong you have suffered and not that which you would cause this is the surest means of gaining to your side persons who would perhaps be doubtful whether to favour your adversary or yourself 
politeness is not less opposed to making excessive complaints to the first person you meet than to the frequent and extravagant eulogiums which you bestow improperly upon those from whom you expect a favour in return by the word improprieties we generally understand all violations of politeness we however give to this word a particular and limited sense it signifies a want of due regard to and a forgetfulness of the delicate attentions which seem to identify us with the situation of others we will mention some examples of these particular violations of politeness to accost sad people with a smiling face and sprightly manners which prove to them the little interest which you take in their situation to trouble by a whimsical and cross ill-humour and by misanthropic declamations the pleasure of contented persons to exalt the advantages of beauty before aged ladies or those who are naturally unfortunate to speak of the power that wealth bestows in the presence of people hardly arrived at mediocrity of fortune to boast of one's strength or health before a valetudinarian the sense which we here give to the term prejudices is still more limited than that which we have just given to the expression improprieties we do not mean to speak here of those erroneous judgments acknowledged as such which though undermined and shaken are still respected by that society which they torment we wish only to admonish our fair readers of those unfriendly prejudices of nation against nation city against city and section against section that malevolent disposition which with the parisian makes the name provincial synonymous with awkwardness and bad ton and which in the salon of the chaussee d'antin allows no favour to persons lodging in the marais because the people of the marais provincials and englishmen do not consider it any fault to return prejudice for prejudice and contempt for contempt End of part two, chapter six, recording by Jolie O'Dell.